0: everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we're here for another round three with the multiple-time number one producer over at Salesforce. It's Ian Koniak.
1: Nick, why should people listen? If you've ever stumbled into a meeting with a CIO, whipped out your sales deck and said, sir, I'm so deeply grateful for the opportunity to be meeting with you. I have some discovery questions that I've prepared. You might want to listen to this one because... Ian's got a better way.
0: Three, two, one, whip out this episode.
1: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely
0: to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes.
1: Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by influ 2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. And if you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting. Targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with influe to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person
0: at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts. Again, yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on 8 Ways to Triple Your Cold Call Connects in the show notes.
1: Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them, look at this amazing offer! And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go Get it and try it for free. All right, Ian, welcome back to the show. You remember, we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three.
2: Number one takeaway, most important, is you need to stop putting executives on a pedestal and instead treat them as normal human beings, just like your friends, your family, and anyone else. Because when you look up to someone, you can't see them eye to eye. And that's the most important thing. So you want to see them eye to eye and talk to them as a person. Number two takeaway is kill the deck. Do not come in pitching in the first meeting with an executive. Okay. The key to an effective executive meeting is to have a conversation, a normal conversation. And when you're pitching, when you're presenting to someone, they're staring at the screen or your slides rather than talking to you human to human, which leads me to number three, which is practice active listening in that conversation. Active listening, by definition, is listening with the intent to understand rather than the intent to reply. So if you ever hear yourself thinking about what you're gonna say next as they're talking, you are not practicing active listening. This is the way you crush meetings with executives. So Ian, what's
0: different about a meeting with an executive than me stepping into a standard meeting with a frontline manager
2: or even a director type level person? I think it's the way they engage. Executives generally are very, very busy. And because they are so busy, they're going to be very calculated with who they meet with and what they spend their time on because their meetings... Literally, their calendars are booked up weeks, sometimes months in advance. So what's different is, number one, the level of preparation you need going into that meeting, okay, the value you need to bring going to that meeting, but it's also different in how they actually engage. In my experience, working with executives, they're going to be very direct. They're also going to be speaking at a high level and looking at the big picture, They're looking at strategic priorities and strategic initiatives. So when they talk, they're talking at a much higher level and they're focused on the big picture. Okay. And the third thing I would say is they're very direct. In other words, they're going to be clear and concise and tell you if something makes sense, they're going to tell you what they're thinking. They're going to almost think out loud in a lot of cases, right? Because they want to know whether or not it makes sense to proceed with working together, whereas other people might take it in, absorb the information, bounce it around. If you're talking to someone who sets the strategy, they're going to say, does this make sense to to further discuss it? Or... Do I need to delegate this or give it to someone else? Is this something that really makes sense for me to get involved with or is it someone else on my team? So what they're thinking about when they're meeting with you, and this is really important, is going to be different than what a normal, I mean, executives are normal, but how they're thinking during the meeting is going to be very different versus, you know, your everyday manager or or director.
0: So Ian, you you sold this massive deal to Berkshire Hathaway, multiple millions of dollars of ARR. And my guess is you weren't talking about data entry for real estate agents or clicks or things like that. So what would be examples in that deal of a below the line manager problem versus an above-the-line, executive, more visionary type of problem.
2: I'll, I'll, that is such a good example. And, and it's so good that I've actually started teaching it in, in some of my workshops that I'm doing. So here's a below-the-line conversation. And this is a real conversation. I still keep in touch with their CEO who has since um, changed companies. And we got in the door through inviting, invited. Uh, we were invited to participate in an RFP. And the RFP was for an application, one application they wanted to build on Salesforce. It was a very small account. They were doing thirty thousand in ARR at the time. We considered it a new logo, and we got invited to be participate. We were told we can only work work with purchasing and IT, and we submitted the RFP bid. We did the demo, and we were told we were triple the price of everyone else, and we were way too expensive. That is a departmental level problem. They're thinking about that one. Problem and that one solution. Okay. So here's what we did in that situation. We said, well, we need to get higher up in the organization because the app we were building was actually very strategic and it could have a material impact on their success as a company. And if they were going to price us out because we weren't meeting specific requirements, they were, they they stood to lose a lot by doing that. So we, Came up with a point of view, and this is really important. When you go to executives, you have to have a very strategic point of view on what they stand to lose if they don't do business with you. It's not what they stand to gain if they do, but what they stand to lose if they don't do business with you, because that's what makes people change. Is they stand to lose something pretty big. And so, what we did is we said, "Look, the application that they were building was was called Awards. It was an awards app." to recognize their real estate agents for being top performers. And all they were asking us was a database to track the performance. They said, give us a database and that will let us spit out the awards. Now, Salesforce is not a database. Salesforce has collaboration. We have engagement, we have workflow. So we said, you know what? Awards needs to be more than a database. Awards needs to be a way to motivate and inspire people to do better. In other words, when they're close to hitting a threshold, send them an email, send them a text, okay? Show them a leaderboard, track it as they're going so they can really get competitive and want to win. That's going to motivate. Don't report the news. Create the news. The way they were doing it before was reporting the news. They would use it. They would announce the winners, and they would send out their awards or trips. Well, we said, no, that's crazy. Show people where they are and what they need to do to motivate them. Then we took an article from Harvard Business Review, and we said, inspired employees, inspired employees perform 233% better than Um, satisfied employees. So we said, look, you need to inspire your real estate team to think bigger. And this can be very strategic for you. And you can't be thinking about it just as a database. And we told that to the IT team and the purchasing team. And you know what? They didn't care. They said, this isn't important, okay? We just need to solve this problem. But they were being told by the business what to do. So we said, well, we need to get to the business. So we get to the VP of solutions and we get to the VP of operations and we say, your IT team and your purchase team, purchasing team has this all wrong. In fact, you're using this and you're treating it as a point solution. But if you build on Salesforce, not only will you have a very strategic application to motivate people, but now you have a platform that you could build more applications that are used for innovating and competing in a very, very disrupted market. Now, the VP of operations, who was my executive sponsor, ended up telling me, Ian, here's my big problem. Awards is one of many problems, but I have 60 projects that my team is working on and only three have Been delivered on time and under budget. The other 57 are just being delayed and over budget. We are literally spending millions on development to keep up with Compass, to keep up with Redfin, to keep up with Zillow. Our agents are leaving and we need to innovate. We need a platform to build and deploy applications that are going to make our real estate agents more successful. How do you advise working together to get this message out to the company that we need the platform because I'm on your side? So those are the conversations that Salesforce needed to have. And that was why executives are so critical, critical to actually have those conversations with because they see the big picture and they're held accountable for the result. Ian, I want to go to that conversation that you had with the VP.
1: You started off with that conversation saying your team is thinking about this all wrong. That is a scenario that requires an immense amount of sales dexterity because you're basically like you're sort of insulting the folks that that person works with day in and day out. And you have to be careful and sort of nuanced about the way that you do that. And from that, you then clearly did something to get this person to spill their guts about the big business strategic problems that they were having that then you created a mega deal out of. I want to understand, one, how did you deliver that message where you said your team is thinking about this wrong? And then two, what did you do to get that person to say, here's what my real issue is?
2: So first thing, is the delivery is really important. You don't want to call someone's baby ugly. But the cool thing is, I knew this wasn't his baby. In fact, I knew this, they had a new CEO in the organization and he was new to his role. So you want to find people that are new to an executive role because they are brought in to make changes. They are brought in to transform the organization typically. And that's why they're there. And I think the delivery is really simple. It's, hey, look, I know you guys are working on this one project and it's important to deliver, but we are getting these requirements, but what's missing is the collaboration. What's missing is telling people specifically about how close they are, and that's a way to inspire them. And when people are inspired, like I said, they're performing better. Are you thinking about it this way too? So you share a different alternative approach and that's called challenger methodology. Everyone knows challenger sale, right? But that's an example of commercial teaching or telling them something about their business they don't know. That's truly adding value. I wasn't pitching anything at this point. I was saying you need to be thinking about this a little different and here's why. I also got insights from IDC, um, on the value of a platform, and I brought those to the conversation. I said, this isn't just an app. You can build other apps on top of this that are also important. And companies that work with Salesforce, they're able to produce 80% more applications than ones that are building with legacy technologies like .NET, like you've been doing in the past. And I showed him the stats. And that's what propelled him to start sharing about all the applications. So it was through that commercial teaching that I gave him that opened him up to actually start sharing about the rest of the stuff.
0: Ian, could you talk a little bit more about this commercial teaching? Because oftentimes I think it's my job to just ask open-ended questions and expect that they're going to pour their guts out about their problems. But you raised a potential problem that they didn't know about, which got them to pour out more. What other ways do you use commercial teaching in your enterprise deals?
2: It's a great question. And for people who want to dive deep into commercial teaching, I highly recommend the book, The Challenger Customer, because half the book is all about developing commercial teaching. But essentially what commercial teaching is, it's a point of view, a point of view that you're bringing to them on how you could help solve a problem that they've stated or achieve a goal that they've stated is very important to them. Now, Ideally, commercial teaching is best delivered when you have some knowledge about the company already. So if you've spoken to lower levels, you understand their systems and their challenges and the problems, then you can go to an executive with that information with a tailored point of view and say, hey, this is a challenge. Here's what the impact of that challenge is. Here's what you're not able to do because of it. Have you thought about it? Do you agree with it? Bottom line is it requires a lot of research and a lot of time to understand their current situation, number one, what that situation is costing them or preventing them from doing, number two, where they want to go as an organization, number three, and how you can help them possibly get there through solving that challenge, which enables them to achieve that goal, all right? All of that is what I call preparing a point of view. Now, I'm going to be really clear on one thing, and that is this. Many times, your point of view will be speculative. Many times, if you haven't had the opportunity to meet with them beforehand and really understand what the challenges are, what they're using, or what their goals are, you know, you're going to be going off, you know, really kind of a speculation of what you think you can help them with. In in those situations, you want to find out from other customers what they've done and the problems you solve for people in their industry, what I call look-alike customers. And you can bring those as examples. Hey, I'm not sure if you're aware, but many companies in your industry have these type of challenges, these type of problems. And here's how we helped another customer similar address them. I'd love to get your perspective. Is this something you're dealing with? Is this important to you? So, It it ranges on the spectrum of having a ton of information about them in a really tailored point of view to a more generic point of view on what you can do to address common problems for their role or for their industry. And there's everything in between. But the bottom line is it's all about them. It's all about how you help solve problems that they're likely faced with and then using that as a foundation to get into discovery versus peppering them with questions before they know you or trust you or even know what you do. And that is the most important thing I'd like everyone to take away from this call is you need to earn the right to ask these questions by coming up with something that will show your value by demonstrate value and add that value first. And when you do that, they're going to be way more forthcoming with what they're really focused on. So that's the real focal point is it's a problem-based messaging versus a pitch-based messaging. So if it's problem-based, it's going to be about them and they're going to open up as to whether or not they have those problems. Because if they don't have those problems, like, hey, why are we talking? Like, maybe you're not a good fit. Let's not waste our time. Let's disqualify and focus on someone who actually does have the problems we can solve or the goals that we can help them achieve. Those are the two things we're looking for, problems that we can solve or goals that we can help them achieve. One of those two.
0: One of the things that you mentioned was really important is active listening so that after that, it's not just a pitch. Now you're in listening mode. And so I say something along the lines of, yeah, we've been trying to move up market. We have a couple of enterprise customers, but we don't wanna have a couple of enterprise customers. We wanna have a lot of enterprise customers, right? We wanna sell three, four, five of these a month, right? How do you start to use that to pull me into deeper and deeper waters? My guess isn't at the end of that, you're like, awesome, you should buy my training. What do you do
2: from that point to
0: keep peeling back the layers of the onion through questions?
2: I think the number one thing that you need to do is get details around what that looks like. So I would ask probably three or four follow-up questions to what you just said. So the first thing I would want to know is, okay, um, well, so you said you're doing maybe one or two enterprise um, deals and you're trying to get to at least three or four. You know, tell me, tell me why that's important. Maybe are they bigger deal sizes? Why is selling bigger deals and more deals important to your company? Are you trying to achieve a goal or what does that do for you, Armand?
0: Right. And so at that point, I might say something like, you know, the mid market is getting tight. We have really good market penetration in the mid market and SMBs. But there's all of this territory up in enterprise that we haven't been able to capitalize on yet, and so it's it's the way for us to expand our TAM as much as possible.
2: Yeah. So okay, I, and that totally makes sense. So you're you're very underrepresented in enterprise. Out of the two deals that you've had that were enterprise, you know, what what's the average deal size for your enterprise deals versus your mid market deals, for example?
0: They're solid size deals. They're they're not crazy deals, but let's let's say that mid market was a fifty k. ACV on average our enterprise deals will typically be between 100 and 200k
2: okay so it's it's two to four x the size and you know what is your revenue growth goal right now versus where where you are right now
0: yeah well mo- most great companies seek to do the triple triple double 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 and we're in the second year of our triple and so ho- hopefully we'll hit another triple this year
2: okay perfect and if you don't sell enterprise deals this year Um, are you going to hit your triple? I mean, how critical is that to you for you hitting your triple? What happens if you don't win in the enterprise? What will you have to do instead?
0: It it would, we would have to be the de facto market leader in the mid market. So there are two ways to get there. Like we can absolutely dominate the mid market and be number one, or we can still shoot for that, but then also de-risk it by figuring out what happens up market, which is probably a wise idea. It's my guess.
2: Okay, perfect. So you say you're trying to sell more. Clearly, you know the importance. Clearly it's, Directly tied to your your goals. What are the challenges you're facing right now in actually winning enterprise deals? What what are you you know are you losing those? Are you not in enough, enough of those? Like tell me kind of what's going on when you do go after the enterprise right now?
0: Yeah, I think we have one or two enterprise reps who are they were really solid mid market reps. And um, even if you look at maybe my background, even I I don't have a ton of experience selling million dollar deals. I can sell six figure deals, but just having confidence that we are structuring these deals and having uh, high level conversations the right way. And um, I feel like if we just knew we were doing enterprise deals the right way and had a playbook, we could hire three, four, five more enterprise reps and have confidence that each of them could be successful up there. But right now we're, we're just, we're still operating a super mid-market playbook in enterprise when I want to operate the enterprise playbook in enterprise.
2: Okay. So your biggest challenge is you don't know what to do in terms of selling the enterprise. You don't know kind of the right motion to go through because they're using a mid-market, more transactional, high-volume velocity. And, and are they taking that, the two mid-market? Like, what's happening with the two mid-market reps that were promoted to enterprise? Are they trying to use the same approach? And what's happening when they when they use that approach?
0: They're doing a solid job. Um, again, they're closing a couple of deals a month, give or take. But it's not like we're closing as many as I would hope. You know, like, I, I would like at least 50% of our revenue to come from some of these larger deals. Um, and it's closer to like 10 to 20% as it stands today. So they're they're doing well. And the reason we put them there is because they were really solid mid-market reps and because they could speak to above the line problems, but the process itself is still very much a mid-market process. We don't do joint execution plans, for example. We're not doing like any sort of like business value case or anything like that. And we're doing things that are
2: optimized for a one to two month sales cycle as it stands. Great man. Well, at this point in the in the question, so you get the point. I just asked like five or six. I'm really trying to understand what it is. The next question I would have asked would have been, okay, so you have a 30 to 40 percent gap in the percentage of deals that you want to do, and that represents how much revenue. So I'd want to find out like what that opportunity cost that they're missing out is by not getting to that point, I'd really want to quantify. So I'm spending time, a lot of time, implicating pain. I'm really trying to understand the situation in a way that feels curious, feels interested. So I'll ask you, Armand, how did that feel just on the receiving end? You know, me, me, did it feel like I was peppering you with questions? Did it feel like I was interested? Did it feel like I was grilling you? Like, just just tell me how that felt on the receiving end of that that role play. What
0: I liked is for everyone listening that Ian took a very specific path of questioning and I don't know if you even realize that you started with this, but I explained that I really care about selling more enterprise deals and before asking me about my reps today, you asked me like why I even care about that in the first place. So you started with why is that even important to you relative to the business? Like, Is this even a problem that's worth talking about? And then you got me to acknowledge that it was a problem and then started to diagnose what are the things that are stopping me from making that problem go away. And I felt like we were on the same side of the table and you were like, like it felt like you got my business, like you had seen this before, so you knew the questions to ask. You, you got to rake me over coals a little bit, but not so much that it felt like you were doing it to have a gotcha moment, but enough to pressure test that you found a problem, in fact.
2: Okay, so I want to call out for everyone listening, the, what, what I hope you picked up on in this is it felt like a conversation. I hope you realize that Armand and I didn't script this at all. We, I didn't even know this was going to come up, right? So when we're talking about this, this is me. I'm actively listening and trying to understand why it's a problem, what the magnitude of the problem is, what he's tried in the past to do to fix the problem. I even said, hey, we have mid-market. We promoted them. What are they up against, right? Right. Because I'm looking to see if they're getting, you know, any penetration using this approach, right? I would have spent, I could have spent easily an hour for the sake of the 30 minutes part of the 30 minutes to President's Club. I, I cut that off, but. Fundamentally, I'm really interested in understanding how important to this him this is and also the challenges specifically that he's dealing with. So I know the challenges that he has specifically in this case are he doesn't have a playbook in place to sell to the enterprise. In fact, I probably wouldn't even pitch a workshop at that point. I would pitch consulting and working with him to develop an enterprise playbook. So I'm really trying to understand where he needs help so I can recommend the right solution solution in that case. That is the key. Treat it as a a conversation, but also your intent is not to sell. Your intent is to understand where they need help and what their challenges are so you can recommend and prescribe the right solution. That is where all the selling time is. It's not through pitching. Once you get to the pitch, you'll have your chance to showcase what you do and how you do it. But all the power is done up front in these upfront executive conversations.
1: Ian, what was really powerful, what you did was I heard you play back what Armand had just said each time. You sort of summarized in a bullet point or two, and then you use that to transition to your next question. And that was proof of how much you were listening and it made it seem much more conversational. And I know how important discovery is to you because something you put in the prep document that I wanted to ask you was you wrote, position your discovery as a next step. And I'm wondering if you can tell me what the heck that means.
2: Yeah. So there's something called decision fatigue. If anyone follows Gong and Devin Reed, he wrote an article about this. And it says that if execs are too involved in the deal, it actually decreases the likelihood of closing, which is counterintuitive because the same Gong research shows that execs need to be involved In a deal, or else it decreases the likelihood of closing if they're not involved, but if they're too involved, it also decreases. So, what does that even mean? Well, it means execs need to be engaged, but not too heavily engaged. Remember how busy I said they are, right? What we want to do in at the end of every exec meeting. So let's just say they have a problem, they've opened up, we know we can help. Well, where do we go from there? Right now, the executives are not going to have that information if you start asking. For that information, they're going to immediately check out, right? So you have to keep it above above the line and high level. So that's what I mean by selling the discovery process is explain what is needed as far as if you need to do a workshop, if you need to do see their systems, if you need to follow a process that they're doing today so you can show how your software can automate it, whatever those things are that are unique to your company that enable you to deliver a proposal or a demonstration or a proof of concept, whatever those things are, you're gonna tell them, here's what we need, who can we work with? And then at the end of that, if they say, work with this person on my team, right? Then you ask them, can you make a brief intro. Can you send an email intro? And then now you have their sponsorship. And once they get an email from the CFO or their boss or whoever it is that work with Ian, they move very quickly because now it's their boss's priority. So that's why it's so important. But you don't want to get them bogged down in the discovery process and give them work to do. You want to have someone on their team coordinate. Every executive has a number two person, and that's very, very common where they have you work with someone close to them. Usually it's a VP level, maybe a senior director level where they're going more in the weeds and connect you and get you the information you need. And then you surface that back up to the executive and show them what you found. Sometimes it'll take a month of research. In Berkshire's case, it was three months of literally flying around the country, meeting with agents, understanding all the things that we needed to provide with the new platform. And the CEO, he was kept in the loop. I say CEO because he got a promotion after we started working together, but he wasn't the one orchestrating that and coordinating we weren't we just kind of kept him in the loop and we get his feedback when we needed something we kept that you know um, connection really strong but very much it's about telling him what you need from that step forward and finding out who can help shepherd you and take you around the organization to get that information.
0: Ian how did you keep the CEO in the loop while all of this stuff was happening did you have a bi-weekly standing meeting
2: was it text was it just whenever you yeah. wanted? It was text. It was call. I mean, for me, like, like I said, keeping a relationship, you know, a lot of the C-suite is relationship. You've got to make sure you have that connection. It's not relationship selling. It's challenger selling, but it's maintaining that relationship. For me, I always would tell him, hey, I met with this person on your team. Just a quick update. Here's what we're doing because they want to know that you're working on their behalf. If they're sponsoring this, if it's something important to them, they want to know you're taking the reins by the horns and you're on it. So the more you can kind of communicate what's going on and just keep them in the loop, the better. I love text. Text is my number one go-to with executives. I use voice memos. I use videos. So you got to treat people as friends. You want to treat them like you're giving them the vip experience but you're also treating them as a human and that was my first takeaway is like these executives are no different than you and i in the minute you can let your guard down and just show up as your authentic self and be yourself and and they see you care about them they see you work you're working hard for them you're going to be able to go to them when you need something and they're going to help push things along when things get stuck at the lower levels where they inevitably will. So that's kind of how I do it, Armand. It's a lot of one way and then I pull them in when there's something really needed that we need to talk about. We're stuck. There's a fork in the road, whatever decision needs to be made. That's when we we hop on a call. So I'd say the calls aren't standing calls, but they're definitely Probably talking to him once a week once every couple of weeks, if you're in an active deal you're you're talking actively to the executive sponsor when you're in a deep discovery process and there's nothing to do then you're updating them in, in, in the in the process
1: Ian, this has been a beautiful trifecta, your third appearance on 30 Minutes to President's Club, so you know what is coming. We're moving to the final question. The final question, we have talked about a lot of great things that salespeople should be doing. We now need to flip that on its head. Final question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to break because it is hurting them more than it helps?
2: Overthinking, okay? Overthinking. I'm spending 10 hours planning this one meeting instead of just getting some basic information and coming and treating people as a person. More action, less thinking. We get better, we grow, we excel by doing, by failing, by falling on our face, right? So the people that are overanalyzing, overthinking, it's good to plan, it's good to do your research, but... It's all about learning through experience. So I just feel like people get so intimidated when it comes to these conversations. They overthink it. And the more people they'll talk to, the more they realize, hey, they're normal people just like you and I. In fact, I get along easier with executives than, than others. So don't overthink the meeting. Treat them as like a person. Don't over prep, okay? Just have a conversation. Focus on helping and serving, and the rest will take care of itself.
1: Beautiful. Well, I hope you over prepped for this part because it's time for Is there anything you want to promote before we jump off here?
2: Well, funny you ask, I am building a sales platform. And it will be coming out and it will have a one-year membership site with every single step of every part of the sales cycle. I already got it, gave you guys a preview, but for everyone listening, it's an incredible opportunity for me to condense and compress all of the amazing things I've learned over 19 years into one one-year program meant to transform your entire life, your sales, your career. And I am so excited to be delivering this. If you are interested, go to ianconiak.com contact there's a button on there. It says, join the waitlist, get on the waitlist, or just connect with me on LinkedIn and I'll get you that information. Mention you heard it on President's Club and I'll get you the link, but check it out. It's coming out. More to come. Let's rock and roll.
1: Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Ian Koniak include, number one, start your calls with a point of view on how you can help your prospect. Don't just come in with random open-ended questions. However, number two, kill the deck in the first meeting with your executive and then focus on listening and asking questions based on what they say, which brings us to number three. Once you get that executive bought in, sell them on the discovery process and yo-yo sell to the SVPs of the VPs without fatiguing the executive. And then lastly, number four, go after new executives at companies. They're oftentimes brought in to solve new problems. All righty, Nick, how can people help us
1: out here? I have had the tremendous pleasure of sharing a pizza dinner with Ian and with Armand. And there is nothing better than sharing pizza with friends. Okay, there is one thing better. It's sharing a podcast with friends. And so if you enjoy 30 Minutes to President's Club and wanted to share this show with a friend, that's even better than pizza. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the show.
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Cents. The link is in the show notes.
1: Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by influ 2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. And if you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using super cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now we worked with Influtu to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.